John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. John Salisbury is, uh, we get ready to pour down. Do we have Sean right now? All right. So, Sean, before we get started, I was, in fact, I was a little worried. I thought maybe you got tied up in the celebration in the streets down in uh, Houston with the firing of Bill O'Brien. I mean, first, were you surprised, and what's been the reaction? Well, I'm not surprised at the result. I'm surprised that that the owner actually had the guts to pull it off. Listen, John, you, we, you and I have been in the business long enough. Bill O'Brien's a good man. Yeah. And, and, and knows X's and O's, and none of us like to see guys get fired. But when you take on a job as a head coach, it's the business. If it hasn't happened to somebody, it usually does. Even to Bill Belichick in Cleveland, it happens. So, But he, he'd hit the ceiling with his head, John. There was nowhere else to go. The team wasn't responding. Um, he had too much power, and it's tough enough to do one of the jobs, let alone at GM. And then now he was going to take the play calling back. The team's a slow starter, and the truth is, I think what kind of put the, the the nail in it is J.J. Watt's post-game press conference about how he was miserable, it sucked, and he's, 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 he's depressed and wants to just keep working. And Bills was, well, we're going to work, but, man, we got a bunch of great guys, and they never gave up, and they, 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 gave, they tried hard. That, that, that's a loser's lament. I like Bill O'Brien, but he wasn't ready to go on in this job anymore. I don't usually subscribe to interim coaches and getting fired during the season. But if you've hit, you, you, I mean, they've hit about their rock bottom. It was time for Bill O'Brien to go. And quite frankly, it's time to clean house in the entire front office as well. And, and they need to move on from everybody and get a fresh slate, which uh, for people in Houston, it can't come soon enough. And, and, and Bill will land on his feet, and he did a nice job, but a nice job isn't just getting to the playoffs. A nice job is winning the whole thing. And they never, and, and Deshaun Watson hasn't gotten better, and they have to. Yeah, and that's the thing that's going to be so sad is that uh, you know he's messed up the roster so bad and draft choices and everything else. It's going to take him years to be competitive again. Yeah, it is. Fortunately, you know you got the staple left tackle and you got the quarterback, which is a good place to start. But they got to understand whether it's Eric Bieniemy or Greg Roman or somebody who comes in and a general manager that says not Jack Easterby, but somebody says here's how we're going to do things that the fans got to be patient. But they've been begging for this for years. It didn't matter what Bill, o, Bill O'Brien did, John. You know this. It was never going to be enough. And then the Hopkins trade really set it off, and they haven't had any success. And they've played such poor football, even against good competition, and they got beat by a team that didn't get a full week of practice in an 0-3 team. But that was the end of it. I think he lost the team. And now the players got to be held accountable, too, because they have highly underachieved. Hey, well, let's get going with four downs. Sticking with Bill O'Brien, why do disciples of Bill Belichick, like Romeo Cronell, Matt Patricia, Bill O'Brien, why do they have hard time as, as head coaches in the NFL? You know what's interesting is that of all the Eric Mangini you can throw in there, we're still, I think Brian Flores is on the right path. I do. I think he's carved his own niche instead of trying to be Belichick. He's taken some of what Bill does and applied to his personality and what he's learned and is doing it. But there's guys all over. I think part of it is this real. I, I think what it does, it impacts just what Bill does while they're there. He's got his hand in everything, and he's a, he trusts them, but he also is teaching them. And when they go out, remember, they go to bad teams, too, and they haven't been able to fix it. And ironically, Bill, out of all those guys we named, O'Brien, was with Belichick the least amount of time and has been the most successful of the, of the, of the guys that were his pupils, yet... 
it just it, it's a loud message that everybody can't be Belichick. The problem is most of them try. Maybe the second time around for some will be better, but you, it's no longer when it comes to the tree. Start looking at Andy Reid's tree. It's no longer the tree to go to is Bill Belichick's good assistants have not turned out to be good pros. You can't be Belichick. There's only one of those guys. Yeah, no doubt. But I think what ends up happening, <clears throat> they try to carry the way that he works, which, of course, is confronting the players and <clears throat> kind of making life miserable, making different adjustments. And the, it works with Bill Belichick because he wins. I mean, he goes to Super Bowls and he gets victories. I mean, nine Super Bowls. But it, it's a wearing effect. Well, all these other coaches have that same wearing effect because, you know, and if you don't win, you can't tolerate it. I mean, you can see how miserable things are for Matt Patricia. I agree. I think Brian Flores doing a little bit differently. But, I mean, you've seen it with Eric Mangini, and you've seen it with Matt Patricia. You, I mean, Bill O'Brien was so confrontational with his players that it made life miserable. But if life is made miserable, you better make it miserable as long as you win, and they didn't win. Second down, fact or fiction, after a 3-1 and one start, the Browns will snap their 17-year playoff drought. I, that's a fact. Uh, I, I picked them to make the playoffs. I had them as my last wild card this year. I think they are going to make the playoffs. And I thought, well, is it three teams from the south at the beginning of the year, AFC South? There's the three teams from the north. I know how good Pittsburgh and Baltimore are. But they are, the Cleveland, with all that talent, is finally starting to recognize it for a couple reasons. They've stopped the chatter. They're executing better. Stefanski's got them going in the right direction. And they're not just pass-happy, throw it all over the lot. When they're healthy, they run the ball with two great running backs, when Chubb's healthy and, and Kareem Hunt. They've got great weapons. And Baker Mayfield now looks a little more settled down. And they're changing his launch point from the pocket, on the edge, getting his energy going. And it's an energy that's a competent energy, not a we're talking because we're we're inferior energy. This is yes. And now they got to beat some good teams, and they got to get through a tough division. And Cincinnati's even better. But I'm going to tell you, I do believe finally that they've turned a corner. Now it's still a long corner to corner to turn to get where they want to, John. But it is fact: the Cleveland Browns are going to make the playoffs in the AFC this year. Yeah, I I mean I picked them to make the playoffs too, uh, with the idea that uh, they'd be the seventh team. And you know they one they've got the easy schedule. Two, I think Kevin Stefanski's done a nice job because he's turned them into a running team and taken pressure off of Baker Mayfield. So I think he's calling smart plays on offense and their defense. You know is real talented, so they're doing well there. So you throw all that together, and I think that hey, it's a, a good chance to try to go ahead and do some positive things. Third down, are the Chargers hurting themselves by not committing to Justin Herbert as their starting quarterback? Well, I don't know if they're hurting themselves by not committing, but they should. Listen, I got a lot of respect for Tyrod Taylor. I do. I, John and I, may we have disagreed on this part in the past. I don't believe, I'm not in the, not everybody gets to have Brett Favre in front of them like Aaron Rodgers. I'm not in the, well, let's not hurt their feelings. They're not ready business. I want to find out quickly, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Herbert, uh, Josh Allen, um, Dwayne Haskins. I want to find out. I want to find out if you can handle like Manning, like Elway, like Aikman, getting your brains beat in physically, mentally, and emotionally and fighting back. I need to know how you deal with adversity. Joe Burrow's getting his the hell knocked out of him on a, on a bad football team, on a bad offensive line. But you know what I already know about Joe Burrow? He's going to be a superstar in the league. Listen, Tyrod Taylor, he'll protect the ball. He's a great veteran, a great backup, great to have on your team, and he can spot start. 
Herbert gives you more physical ability to do things that you can't. And so what? If he throws a pick, learn from it. That's what we call experience. And so I don't subscribe to the feel-good business. Oh, what if his feelings get hurt? If I'm worried about his feelings, I shouldn't have drafted him in the first place as a first-round pick and wasted it. No, Herbert should be the starter, and Tyrod Taylor, unfortunately, has to go back and do what he's done. Spot start and be the backup. You can lose your job to injury, no matter how unfortunate. Herbert's a better player and gives them more field to run, and he'll learn on the run. Play the first rounder. When a guy's drafted in the top ten, he plays. Yeah, and that's uh, it. It would be sad that they do that because you know a, a mistake or whatever you want to call it, giving the punctured lung and all that stuff, took him away. But Justin Herbert reminds me of Matt Ryan, and if you've got a quarterback that that is that good, he keeps him competitive. He seems to have a good feel and leadership and all those things. I don't think you want to mess with that. Fourth down. We're through the season's first quarter, so which team has been the biggest disappointment so far? Oh, well, this team here in Houston's been abysmal, and some people actually had them winning the division, literally, across the national prognosticators. The Vikings, there were others that had them in the playoffs. I didn't put them in the playoffs, but they played better last week. But they, they, they've been so up and down. It, it's been It's been a hard hard watch and I'm thinking around so you can't say the 49ers because they, they've had so many injuries that's been unfortunate so for me on the negative side it would have to be this team here in Houston because of the quarterback and the left tackle and they, they, they nobody spends more money offensively nobody did offensively than this team and they're about as bad as there is so I'm probably going to lean towards uh one of those two teams but I will even more so the Vikings because even, because at least they made a coaching change here. The Vikings have not made a coaching change, and a lot of people thought they were a playoff team after last year. So they've been a pretty big disappointment, and there are others, but I'm going to go there because the other teams that are losing, I expected to lose. Yeah, no, I think you have to go with Houston because, again, you know, you have a, a, a... – one of the top six, seven quarterbacks in the league in Deshaun Watson. You know, they have so much money tied up on offense, but they go 0-4 and and in a lot of ways not even be competitive. I know the first three games were against good teams, very good teams, the three best teams in the AFC, in my opinion, but uh, this was such a disaster, and Bill O'Brien unfortunately deserves to get fired, and now it's going to take a long time to build that thing back. But, you know, we've had a lot of disappointing teams, and the stat that I kind of wonder about, uh, Sean, is that uh, coaches on the hot seat now we already got one coach fired he's included in this number coaches on the hot seat right now are five and 27 five and 27 yeah. lots of firings coming. We, may, we may we make we may break a record for coaches fired during the season in detroit atlanta and new york mm-hmm. could happen all four of them with bill o'brien included before the season's over no doubt and of course uh, one thing that's always fired up with the positive is going four downs with sean salisbury sean thanks for joining us and we'll talk on friday Sounds good, Johnny. Appreciate you, brother. Okay, sounds good. And, of course, uh, you know, make sure you can listen to the show on the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we are going to go ahead and get uh, you know some grades going with the report card. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time for the report card with the professor. How we get out every day, we look at the good, the bad, the ugly, the smart, the stupid, what people say, what people do. We take the stories, the anecdotes. We take all the social media comments, and we also take the voices and attach a grade to it. Curtis Rogers back in service here, back in the building, and we got the report card. What do we have? Well, John, let's get it going on today's report card. Obviously, the big news last night, 
Was Bill O'Brien getting fired as head coach and GM of the Houston Texans? He spent six-plus seasons at the helm of that organization. But, John, he now gets fired, and they're on the search for a new head coach. How are we grading Houston Firing Bill O'Brien just four games into the 2020 season. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, you can say firing him this early doesn't do them any good, but they needed to do something <clears throat> because things were miserable. <clears throat> and you know, I'm sure that the, he lost the locker room. I mean, he made so many bad decisions as a GM, and I think they just got tired of it. So I'm going to give it a B plus. I like Bill. Bill's always been good to me. But again, he hasn't been good to the Houston Texans. And of course, he was so unpopular with the fans. Uh, you heard Sean because Sean has a talk show every morning in uh, Houston. And he hears, hears all the complaints. And so, no, I think this was all justified in doing it. Yeah, I think uh, Keyshawn Johnson on uh, Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin, which you can hear every morning from 3 to 7 a.m., uh, he he pointed it out, I think, pretty well. He said that uh, general manager Bill O'Brien got head coach Bill O'Brien fired, and I think that's very true because mm-hmm. you look at the crazy trades that Houston has made over the last three or four seasons. Obviously, here in Seattle, we know the Jadevian Clowney trade. Uh, you've got the Laramie Tunsil trade. You've got, what was it, the uh, oh the DeAndre Hopkins trade. I mean, just so many crazy moves that they made. There wasn't really a plan for it all. And Houston, you know, suffered in the win column. They didn't pick up a win this season. Also, a year after suffering one of the worst defeats in playoff history, after jumping out to that what twenty-four nothing lead on Kansas City, and then losing by twenty, they lost that lead before halftime was up. Uh, yeah, Bill O'Brien, it was it was time for you to go. I'm going to give Houston a, a B for uh, moving on from him. And then, John, also on the report card today, the Seahawks working out two veterans, two names that are pretty well-known amongst the NFL community. That'd be defensive tackle Damon Snacks Harrison and linebacker Michael Kendricks. Obviously, Kendricks with two years here in Seattle already. Uh, He's coming off that ACL injury. But, John, how are we grading Seattle's interest in Snacks and Michael Kendricks. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give it a, a an A because I think that uh, you know if they check out and they can help out, you're adding talent, and anytime you can add talent, I think is a very good thing. So no, I kind of give it a I'm going to give it a very good grade because I think that uh, you know both can help. And again, this team needs <clears throat> as much as it can on defense. E. Kendricks, of course, played well in his two years prior to this getting here, and of course, uh, Snacks Harrison, you know, gives you a very quality defensive. Uh, run-stopping tackle, so I'm going to give it a good grade. Yeah, I'll give it a, a solid B+. Plus. I think if they're able to sign one or the other, or, or maybe even both, I'll notch it up to an A, but uh, yeah, I think Damon Harrison is the bigger priority right now for the Seahawks, but if they're able to get just one of the two, I'll be fine with it. I think both can help out and help out in a pinch, and I think the Seahawks would be a better team defensively with either one of those guys coming in. I wonder, though, John, Especially with Seattle's interest in Michael Kendricks, do you think that means anything on the Jordan Brooks front? I don't think so. I mean, I think <clears throat> this is one where because I, I, what I look at is that maybe they can talk him into being on the practice squad and uh, you know just be there when needed. And so uh, I, I think you know we we tend to overread things. Of course, I mean that's the thing that I think happens in this town and most towns and all that stuff. It's like, oh, what's what's behind this? Is it this and this and this? You know, people were complaining about oh John Snyder not getting aggressive and bringing guys in well guess what they're bringing two in and two guys who can help to whatever degree also on the report card john the nfl releasing a memo yesterday saying that there could be increased penalties for teams not following covid protocols including 
the possible forfeitures of games. Here's ESPN's Dan Graziano explaining the memo. So it's not a question of, hey, look, if you guys mess up and there's an outbreak, you're going to have to forfeit your game. The issue is this. Like Tennessee and Pittsburgh, they were able to reschedule for later in the year because it's early. They haven't had their bye weeks yet. They only had to move one other game around to do it. What the league is saying in that memo is if there's a situation where we have to reschedule your game and it's difficult and it affects too many other teams and we can't find a spot for it on the calendar, then the outcome may well be that you, if you are responsible for the situation, that you may have to forfeit the game. So, John, how are we grading this measure by the NFL that, hey, if you're not following protocol, and we saw it multiple times this week, obviously Tennessee, uh, Cam Newton with New England, uh, Darren Waller's charity event with the Raiders, it seems as though teams are getting a little lax on COVID protocols. How do you think forfeitures would uh, whip people into shape here? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you need to do it because you need that deterrent. I mean, let's say, for example, and we still don't know what the ruling's going to be, if any, on the Tennessee Titans if they broke uh, protocol. But, you know, let's say, for example, they had a party uh, and the players and some coaches went to that party and, you know, right before they left for Minnesota and then they had all these different positive tests. I mean, you should put yourself in a position to get heavy fines, lose draft choices, and also uh, do it because now you're ruining it. Because, you know, the next step, and you can see the next step is starting to build up, is that what they'll do is that uh, they'll, they'll order everybody to have a bubble and that bubble being a team hotel that you'd have to stay at but you can't leave you can't go see family you can't have family visit all those different things and so to get this season in you can't have that type of bad behavior you know what the, i know is a charity event is for a good cause but that was a mistake by the raiders they deserve to be fines if there's something coming out of tennessee because again you can't have 18 tests that are positive and maybe not have something go wrong yeah i think it's it's high time for the NFL to, uh, I guess, lay down the hammer when it comes to doling out punishments for for not following COVID protocols. Because why should one team who you know doesn't have any positive tests, for example, the Kansas City Chiefs, yep. why should they have to have their season interrupted uh, because of something they didn't do? Why should they have to, I guess, you know, be punished for something that the Patriots did? That's not very fair to Kansas City. So if if it's something that they didn't do, why not hand them a victory? I mean, I I think it's it's something that the NFL probably should have put in place right from the get go to avoid this craziness because there's going to be some some headaches caused from all the the scheduling the, the schedule shifting going on here. And then finally, John on the report card, Matt Patricia was making some excuses following Detroit's loss on Sunday, sort of blaming the previous regime for what. Uh, was left in the cupboard, even though we're three years removed from Jim Caldwell being head coach of the Lions. Here's what Patricia had to say. Why should people still believe that you're the right coach to turn this around? Um, you know, I mean, obviously, Mike, that's a you know hard question. Obviously, we just lost to the Saints. You know, I mean, I, let's just give them credit for this game. They played extremely well, and uh, I know we got a lot of work to do. Um, certainly, I think when I came to Detroit, there was a lot of work to do, and that's what we're trying to do. So when he came to Detroit, there was a lot of work to do. Mm. There's still work to do. Dan Orlovsky of ESPN, former Detroit Lions quarterback, uh, was on with Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, and he did not like Matt Patricia blaming 
pretty much everybody else for what the Lions currently are. To come in and say that you had a lot of work to do is completely false. It's a bunch of trash hmm. because that wasn't the case in Detroit. We were a good football team. Matthew Stafford was playing as good as he has in his career. That was because of Coach Caldwell. And we were a, a, an organization that was ascending. He was building. And you know what? another thing, Z? Yeah. The culture was amazing. The culture was, was fantastic. So you had a winning record in three or four of your years. The culture was great. Your quarterback was playing really good football. So for him to come in and say that there was a lot of work to be done is a bunch of trash. Second of all, you know what Coach Caldwell wasn't? A finger pointer. I think Dan Orlovsky has a really good point there, John, because the Lions weren't that bad before Patricia took over. Jim Caldwell had them winning games and making the playoffs. They didn't advance in the playoffs, but they were nowhere near as bad as what they are now. No, I mean, that's <clears throat> that's an F. I mean, because, again, typical for him because, you know, he just doesn't have a good grasp of things. And, you know, I think he didn't realize how popular Jim Caldwell was. The reason Jim Caldwell, and it was a mistake by firing him, is that uh, he didn't get championships. But he was able to get them to nine wins and get them close to the playoffs. And now they, they're, they're going to be drafting with Matt Patricia in the top five or top six because he's so bad. So, no, I think that was unfair. I think I give an A to Dan Orlowski for calling him out because that was just a bad way to answer the question. That is it for today's report card. Okay, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go on to Busy Hard Seltzer text line at 710-710, getting your text questions. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. It is time to take your text questions so you can text us at 710-710 on the Busy Hard Seltzer text line. And so, Curtis, what do we have? John, this one comes to us from the 253. Terry out in Tacoma wants to know, do you think New England... Would have beaten Kansas City with Cam starting last night? Uh, no, I, I still think that, uh, you know, I, I still look at the Patriots as more of a wild card team, uh, <clears throat> a playoff caliber team, no doubt, with Cam Newton. But you can see no Cam Newton, no playoffs. I mean, it's just that uh, good. But, uh, again, it was a 16-point difference in the game. And I think that, uh, you know, could Cam make up the difference for 16 points? I'd say no. This one comes to us from the 425. They want to know, John, and I think this was inspired by the fine that Dallas's Tristan Hill got for his tackle on Chris Carson. Uh, they want to know what type of formula does the league office use to determine fines for players like Tristan Hill? Yeah, it's all over the place, uh, and that's why <clears throat> it's so impossible so many times to figure out you know, what the commissioner is going to do for suspension time, what they're going to do on some of these things. I mean, but uh, you know, we go with, what, 6255 I mean, $6,255 on that hit, you know, the one, and then they came back and gave the same fine for the little bit of the helmet hit that he made. I mean, that should have been much more, but again, sometimes the, the formula just doesn't meet because once you think you've figured out the formula, then there's a different type of fine, either uh, higher or lower. Aren't some of the fines based off a percentage of a player's salary, too? So players who make less will get fined less? No, really, no. I mean, no. Uh, it should be that way, but that's not the case, I think. Because, uh, again, it's like, uh, you know, Hill doesn't make a lot of money. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, you know, you still have, you know, a certain, you know there's going to be certain fines that are going to be at a certain level. But, uh, you know, it's, it's still one that's like you keep guessing. Really interesting question here from the 425, and I didn't know that this was the case, John. They want to know, 
Do you support John Facenda, the legendary voice of NFL Films, getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? At some point, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, he would get in as a contributor. But again, we have so many, uh, you know, because remember, I'm I'm the one who kept pushing to get the contributor list, and Facenda would be certainly a candidate. But are you going to put him ahead of some owners? Are you going to put him ahead of? Uh, I mean, like for example, if you had a choice between John Facenda and Paul Allen. Who would you take? Paul Allen saving this franchise yeah. and making it one of the best in sports. I mean, so no, I'd say, you know, it's going to take some time. But, you know, we, we only started the uh, contributor thing about, what, seven years ago, and we're still playing catch up. Yeah, here's some Facenda. The autumn wind is a pirate, blustering in from sea with a rollicking song he sweeps along. Yeah, that, there you go. That's, a, that's a legendary voice. Oh, right absolutely. There. Uh, this one comes to us from the 801. They want to know, is Michael Kendricks worth signing over Clay Matthews? Uh, I would I would think they need Clay Matthews more than Kendricks because, you know, <clears throat> they still have a, a lot of uh, outside linebackers. Obviously, they're down two outside linebackers right now. But uh, I think, you know, because you can have Clay as a pass rusher, as a Leo. You can have him as that. I, I, I would still vote for uh, Clay, but uh, still not a bad idea to make this move. From the 360, they want to know, John, which New York team do you think will bounce back and get a winning season first, the Giants or the Jets? Uh, I don't. Th- I'd say neither right yeah, now. They're a long way. Off. Yeah, it's like you're, we're looking so far in advance. I mean, they're both 0 and 4. They both got young quarterbacks. I guess maybe the Giants might have a little bit of a chance to bounce back, but not to get to a winning season. It's going to take so much time. 425 wants to know, John, if Michael Kendricks does re-sign with the Seahawks, would it be for the veteran minimum? Well, it could be for the veteran minimum, or it could be the $12,000 a week you get as a practice squad guy. So it could be one of the two. 509 wants to know, John, any early sellers the Seahawks could be interested in doing a deal with to get some defensive end help? Hmm, don't know yet. I think that you might look toward teams that are going to be in the top 10 for the draft next year uh you know whether it's going to be washington or some teams like that uh because again you got a lot of bad teams but still uh, at this stage still unknown whether they can make any kind of trade we saw the packers get their fourth straight win last night the 425 wants to know which team do you think is better seattle or green bay i think seattle uh, because again it's like uh, we know how great Aaron Rodgers is playing but this team is deeper at wide receiver it's got more offensive weapons right now I know the Packers are doing it uh, just in a miracle way you know like they did it without their top two receivers yesterday you know Devontae Adams was hurt you know they had uh, Alan Lazard hurt but I'd say right now because I think you know as time goes on because remember you can talk about oh boy the Seahawks defense is terrible what about the what about the uh, Green Bay Packers they have trouble stopping the run you know they're they're giving up uh, we're coming into the game last night they they were giving up 28 to 29 points a game. 509 wants to know, who do you think is the next coach likely to get fired? Uh, I still think Adam Gaze, you know, because that's such a mess right there. And I don't think the locker room's behind him. You know, I think that he's kind of lost the locker room. I think, you know, it's, I think it's a pretty good battle between Matt Patricia and also Adam Gaze. This one from the 425, they want to know, will Gardner Minshew be Jacksonville's starting quarterback next season? Hmm. Uh, yeah, right now I think uh, he has a decent chance just because, you know, I don't know what their record's going to end up being, but uh, I think that they're not going to get, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to end up going to, say, the Jets or somebody like that. <clears throat> but Jacksonville's still going to lose like about 10 or 11 games, so I don't know if that puts him in a position to get that quarterback. 
This one comes to us from, let's see here, let's go with this one from the 425. They want to know if Russell Wilson wins an MVP at any point in his career. Does that solidify him as a Hall of Fame lock? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, because right now, <clears throat> I think it's a matter of getting back to the Super Bowl, which would be his third Super Bowl trip, or getting an MVP. And you know, I think he's in good shape right now, but uh, that would, I think, put it over the top. The 650 wants to know, John, which Seahawks players do you think could be moved in a trade at the deadline? I'm wondering if, like, B.J. Finney could get some value. I mean, you know, he hasn't he hasn't really done anything here so far. And <clears throat> maybe a team like Pittsburgh, if they lose a guard, maybe they want him back. I think that could be a possibility. Because we saw last year at the deadline, the Seahawks traded uh, Nick Vanette to the Steelers, right, for a right. fifth rounder. Yeah. yeah. Always good to have extra draft picks, especially because they sent so many to the Jets for Jamal Adams. Would not mind seeing that. Uh, this one from the 360, John, they want to know, do you think Trey Flowers keeps his job once Quentin Dunbar comes back? Uh, no. That job's not his. It's Quentin Dunbar. I mean, the only reason that uh, Trey is playing is because Dunbar has been out a couple weeks. So, no. I mean, it's it's one that uh, Dunbar's a starter, not Trey Flowers. It's not his job to give up. And then this one, John, from the 253, they want to know any news, any new news on the health of Rasheem Green or Philip Dorsett? Uh, I think that uh, it's a week-to-week thing <clears throat> with uh, Dorsett because it's a foot injury. I don't think they want to rush him back. Green should be, I think, available once he gets his three games in on the injured, injured reserve list. That is going to do it for text questions. Okay, so coming up is our Daily Dose of the Graz with Dave Grosby. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us for our Daily Dose of the Graz is Dave Grosby. And so, <clears throat> David, uh, big day today. we got a lot of basketball to get into. And, of course, the big one is going to be the Storm. They play at 4 o'clock with a chance against Vegas <clears throat> to clinch their fourth WNBA title. I get the feeling they're going to do it. Two 17-year veterans uh, taking the spotlight today. And, uh, yeah, the Storm are favored to do it with uh, Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird. It'll be 16 years apart for titles for Sue Bird. And the other guy in his 17th year is LeBron James. So he's not going to be able to clinch tonight, but they'll try and go up 3-1 in this series with uh, Miami. Yeah, no doubt. And, uh, I mean, how special is this uh, Storm team? Because, I mean, uh, would you say, because to my way of thinking, I think this is clearly their best championship team. Hmm. You think so? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're they're very good. The ones they had in the past were very good as well. The the constant, of course, of Sue Bird. They're built in a similar way than the team was with Lauren Jackson having a big uh, center pros- uh, player in, in Brianna Stewart. So, uh, I guess I wouldn't argue with you. I, I haven't watched the games closely enough to make a good comment on that. But uh, they've just uh, it's it's been amazing since they got Stewart. How much. They were able to turn things around. I mean, remember a couple of years ago, they were at the bottom of the standings. And uh, as we've talked about many times, a testament to Sue Bird uh, in her 17th year. Had a 16-assist game this year. I mean, is still at the top of her craft. So uh, it's uh, it's good. It's exciting. And I uh, wish them the very best. And I agree with you. I think they're going to get it tonight. Yeah, I, I would I would think so because again they're they're just so talented, so good, and they they just have such they they just play so well together. Absolutely right. No, no argument here. They do, and 
and uh, there's a lot of confidence in, in how they play, and, and uh, look, with good reason. You know, they've been able to withstand uh, all the all the vagaries of this year and, and play extremely well, and, and uh, now one more game against Las Vegas to clinch it. No question. And, of course, what kind of celebration? Now, of course, that's going to be the interesting thing because uh, yeah. what kind of celebration can you have with the pandemic? Virtual. Yeah, that's true. Good. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I I don't imagine there'll be a parade, uh, so I would imagine that uh, that at this point the virtual is probably the only way to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably the only that's thing. A good and, point. Yeah, because, I mean, let's put it this way. It's like, I mean, first off, we didn't know if we were going to have any sports this year. And now we're at a stage where, you know, as early as uh, this week, you know, figuring out a way to celebrate a championship. Yeah, I don't think Tampa had one for the Stanley Cup. And, and um, so, I mean, it, it's going to have to be a, a virtual sort of thing, I would imagine. Or, or maybe, you know, some, something with spacing at Seattle Center. I, I don't know. But uh, it's, uh, it, it's a reminder a stark reminder in the, in the championship when the championship is one of how different times are for sure. Yeah, it really is. What do you think of the start of the uh, the this the baseball so far with the Yankees really winning and yesterday. Astros winning? Really good. Uh, you know, you had the two American League uh, series play and a lot of hostility between the the two teams, Houston and Oakland, and the Yankees and Tampa. What was interesting is Oakland, you know, took seven out of ten from Houston during the regular season, and the Astros put a ten spot up on them and. You know, I want to take a moment to talk about Dusty Baker, who, who was uh, Houston's brilliant hire uh, after all the chaos of last year. They decided that, you know what, this is going to be a chaotic season on a lot of levels, not the least of which was the, was the, the, retros, you know, the aftermath of the cheating scandal. They went and got themselves uh, one of the great veteran managers who was taking a record now fifth team to, a, uh, to the playoffs. They were less than 500, but were good enough to make the postseason. And have switched it into another gear, and and uh, Dusty Baker gets a tremendous amount of credit in my book for doing that, and putting Oakland on their heels a little bit. Uh, they still have great players. George Springer, in particular, jumped up yesterday. So, I think that you know he's sort of one of the unsung guys to have a a real veteran, experienced guy who's been to the postseason before at the helm is helping Houston. And then they had Tampa, who had dominated the Yankees, and they had a local kid Blake Snell starting, and the Yankees had a really good approach against him and. They're playing down in Petco Park, which had been notoriously hard for home run hitters until they moved the fences in, and they had just a barrage of home runs yesterday. And the Yankees came up with a win and and, uh, played very well in doing it. So those were two very entertaining games, especially the Yankee-Tampa game. And keep in mind, the way they're doing the postseason is they roll today. They they roll all five. It's the best of five series. If they play five games, they play all five in a row. And they have the National League starting now with uh, Miami, the the absolute uh, total underdogs. Uh, against Atlanta, and they're tied 1-1 in their game. And then San Diego and Los Angeles is the other other Western series. And, you know, it's kind of um, – the Yankees are, are – are, their record is a little deceiving because they had a lot of injuries during the year. But uh, I think it's beginning to feel like a Yankee-Dodger World Series, the way the Yankees played yesterday, if they can keep it up with Tampa. And then obviously they'd have to get through Houston or Oakland. The Dodgers are remain an overwhelming favorite, but San Diego, is, as we saw in the first round, and – if you follow them a little bit, uh, have a tremendous amount of young talent, very exciting players, uh, and that should be a really fun series. Yeah, it really should be. Did you get a chance to watch the Green Bay Packers last night? Watched a little bit of both games uh, last night. Um, you know, the Patriots, of course, were way behind the eight ball without Cam Newton, and that was understandable that they would struggle against Kansas City in Kansas City and did. Uh, the Packers, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers at the top of his game. You know, I mean, he's just at the, the very top of his game right now. He's, I think, got, what, 13 touchdowns and no picks. 
uh, is playing very, very well. Uh, Green Bay, um, you know, I, there were some questions about him going into this year. They've answered most of them, I think. Uh, it's uh, clear to me that right now, as we speak in the NFC, uh, Green Bay and Seattle are, are top the uh, top two teams for sure uh, in the NFC and, and are, are pointing towards the showdown. But, yeah, I thought the Packers – you know, did did what they had to do against Atlanta and looked impressive in doing it. Yeah, no doubt. And of course, uh, that's going to be you know so much fun to be able to watch that uh, and see where they all fit in. But I'm just amazed. I mean, here's Aaron Rodgers, and that's why I still think Seattle has the better of the two. Both, as everybody in the NFC right now is figuring out, defense is very difficult, and so both Green right. Bay's defense and Seattle's defense both are giving up yards and points. At least they held uh, them down to ten points yesterday or sixteen points yesterday. But overall. Uh, you can see that uh, this is this is one where there's more offensive weapons right now on Seattle than the Green Bay Packers. There are, but you know, Green Bay's got an interesting. You know, it's funny they drafted a quarterback, and there there seems to be all this discord, and yet Aaron Rodgers looks smooth as silk, but with with the with the talent that he has there, I agree with you. I think Seattle's definitely got more big time offensive talent for Russell Wilson, and I think by the time the year's up, uh, regardless of what the records are, it's going to show up in the stats, but. But, um, you know, you do. There is something to be said, as you know, John, for having a, a veteran quarterback, which Aaron Rodgers is, at the top of his game. And we, how many years did we see Tom Brady, you know, we, with, with limited weapons, we'll call it, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and still have big seasons. So. Uh, I would not count a team out with Aaron Rodgers, that's for sure. Oh, no, not at all. That's why I think it was so silly to make that move and try to do something like that, uh, you know, to get a quarterback that's now shortening uh, Aaron Rodgers' stay because you still figure no good, bad, or indifferent after two years, which will be after next year, that Aaron's probably not going to be there. Yeah, well, I mean, that's sort of a lot for everyone. I mean, Tom Brady didn't wind up in New England. Peyton Manning didn't wind up with the Colts, so... It's not a huge surprise. I mean, you know, dare I say it, there's a possibility that one day Russell Wilson will play for someone else, too. Doesn't seem likely, but it's always possible in the NFL. Oh, yeah, no question. That's something that uh, we'll just have to wait and wait and see and see where things are going to go. So, But, again, it's uh, it's kind of fun. Do, do you like this year as far as the wild offense, lack of holding calls, lack of penalties? Do you like it? John, you know I'm a traditionalist, so that's a tough one for me. I mean, I don't. How about how about this? I don't dislike it, but I miss the way football used to be. Now, I do not miss constant holding calls and things like that. You know, I miss you know the way the game used to be played. I guess to an extent, I'm not a huge fan of the of the back and forth offenses, but it's not it's not. I mean, it's, it's not bad to watch. That's for sure. I mean, it's fun to watch, and you know, I think when 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 push comes to shove. I mean, we saw it when it got to the postseason last year. You know, they had great offenses, but defenses still had to step up and, and, and make the plays. And, and that'll be the case this year. But uh, it certainly is striking difference. And I agree with you that the big difference seems to be the, the, the much fewer holding calls, which, which is, um, you know, really making it tougher and tougher on the defense. But that's what they've been doing in the NFL for the last decade is making it tougher on the defense. And, I think people people like high-scoring games. We'll, we'll find out as the year goes on. Mm-hmm. And ratings still holding up pretty well. I know Fox had a 1% increase over last year. And, of course, this year there's supposed to be a percentage decrease because of the elections and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, Well, still... and there's also, you know, I mean, normally you wouldn't be going up against the, the NBA, and, and, and that's that's going away soon. So ratings will be back. They'll be fine. The NFL's not going anywhere. No, that's true, but of course, uh, we'll be going back to you tomorrow. That's our Daily Dose of the Graz today. Dave Grosby, thank you. Thanks, John. Talk okay. to you tomorrow. All right, coming back, we'll come back tomorrow at 10. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.